0: Um, songs like His Eyes on the Sparrow, you know, a lot of those uh, old-time songs. Holy, Holy, Holy is another one that Mrs. Rouse sings. It's actually one of my favorite hymns of all time, and so I'm thankful for it. So I always look forward to the first of the month when Mrs. Rouse comes and sings for us. So thank you very much uh, for that. For the rest of you guys, we are in um, our Limitless series. We are in our Limitless series. We started a brand-new series last week. We we came to a, a conclusion in our character under construction series took us about six or seven weeks to do but last week we started a new series called the Limitless series i had you um in your bibles in hebrews chapter 11 and we read that verse in verse one where it said now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen and so what i have on the docket are four different um four different characteristics um that we have as christians that should not have a cap or a limit on it and last week we started the series called, uh, the first part, or a sub-series in it, um, is Limitless Faith. We talked about Limitless Faith, and we use this as a jump-off uh, point. And so I would like to continue um, in the second portion of the, fa- of the faith portion of the Limitless series, and I hope it will be a blessing to you. I asked you last week, um, how far does your faith go? You remember that, church? I asked you, how far does your faith go? And for many of us, the truth was is that, Many of us, we have limits to our faith. There are points in our lives that are breaking points for us, and there are there are points in our lives where we flirt with um, walking away with the faith because it's asking or requiring of us uh, too much. And we talked about last week five different um, elements um, in your life that will act as constructing or binding mechanisms uh, to you being able to have a faith that supersedes a limit. No plateaus, right? We're talking about having a faith that is able to go far and beyond your, your wildest dreams. Um, this week, I want to kind of shift gears on that a little bit. And this week, in, on the contrary, I asked how far does your faith go. Today, my question to you is if you get nothing from this message, is who is your faith in? Who is your faith in? We talked about who, who to, how, how far does your faith go. This week, I want to ask you, who is your faith in? Now, before you answer with your knee-jerk reaction that says, of course, my faith is in God, I want you to examine your heart and make sure that that's a true statement. Because I know as, as Christians, we've got to be careful about uh, falling prey to just using the, the lingo. We know how to quote the verses. We know how to sing the songs. We know how to use, someone called it, Christianese. We know how to use those things. And it's easy to just be like, well, praise God, hallelujah, of course it's God. And I, I want you, I'm, I'm challenging you today to, to see if that's actually true. Is your faith, right, because we're talking about having limitless faith, faith with no ceiling, right, faith with no cap. Faith with no boundaries, right? We want to take you to a place where your faith goes far beyond anything you've ever experienced before. You're going to have to decide who your faith actually is in. As we discussed last week, so many times we we think we can handle it better than God. So we shut off our light, you know, this little light of mine, right? And then we take that little light that we have and we shut it off. And we walk in the darkness because somehow we think that we can navigate through the darkness better than the God of the universe. And that's not the case. I want you to get to a place where you can remove those caps and take yourself to that new level. And I want to share you uh, with a few things with you um, that you need to have in your mental arsenal, right? A few things you need to have in your corner in order for you to be able to take your faith to new heights. So let's pray and then we will get into the message today. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. And for your son, Lord, we welcome you into this place. We ask that you come and meet with us, Lord. Help us as we seek to strengthen our cord, Lord, and that we uh, and that you may be glorified and honored in our lives, Lord. And we'll give you all the honor and glory for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Who is your faith in? Who is your faith in? Now, I personally and purposely constructed this message to make sure that we get out here at a reasonable time today, because I like food, right? And I'm starving myself today until after the 3 o'clock service so that I can bust down, all right? And so I'm counting on you to use the extra time that I'm giving you to put some extra love in that, in that food, all right? Throw your foot in that food, man. I, wanna, I want it to be great, all right? And so um, I'm looking forward to supper with the smalls today after the 3 o'clock service. And if you don't come, I will eat extra portions, all right? So, but I would like you to be there, so come. All right, so come. All right, so keeping that in mind. All right, so we're limitless faith. What do I want you What do I need you to know, okay, in order for you to make sure that you can take your faith to new levels? Turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, the first book of the New Testament, the gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. And look at verse 26. Matthew 14 and verse 26. It says this, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, They were troubled, saying, "It is a spirit." And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, "Be of good cheer; it is I. Be not afraid." And Peter answered him and said, "Lord, if it be Thou, bid me to come out on the water." And he said, "Come." And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked out. uh, He walked on the water to go Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, "Lord, save me!" And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, "Of of Of a truth thou art the Son of God. All right? It's so easy to get your eyes fixated on the wrong thing. It's so easy to get your eyes fixated on the wrong thing. If you're a note-taking person, number one, you want to take your faith to new limits, to new heights, not limits. We want it to be limitless. If you want to take your faith to new places, number one, you've got to learn to keep your eyes on God you got to learn to keep your eyes on God. Now, church, I don't want this to be another message on faith that you already know about and you know all the stories. I want you to really think about this because a lot of times we get to a place where we get so caught up in, in things that may seem um, in different elements redundant and we kind of turn it off. But no, we need to be reminded of these things so that we can apply them to our lives. Because over and over, we see God doing things in the lives of others and all around us and we forget all of those things when it comes time for it to be our turn. We need to make sure that we have that, um, have that in mind. It is so easy to get our eyes fixated on the wrong thing. In order to have limitless faith, you're going to have to develop tunnel vision. You're going to have to develop tunnel vision. You're going to have to get to a place where you start to keep your eyes fixated just on the Lord and using those, those visors to cut off your ability to be able to see anything else but the Lord anything else but the Lord, because that's what we do. We allow the, the storms and the seas of life to, to get us to start looking to the left and looking to the right. And when that happens, that's exactly when you will begin to sink. See, sometimes our faith has limits on it because we're too busy sinking instead of walking. Is that you? How's your faith been? Or have you been someone that's, been, that's gotten to a place where they, were, where they got so used to fixating their eyes on the winds and the, and the storms that you forget to keep your eyes on Christ? Peter was faced with a situation where he had to choose. He either had to look at what scared him or keep his eyes on the Lord. But I want you to know that Peter in this situation represents four different people that sit in this room today. There are four different people in this room that are represented in this scenario. Number one, there's the people who trust the Lord at first, but that's as far as they go. They trust the Lord at first, but that's as far as they go. We see Peter. What did Peter do, right? Peter went ahead and, and stepped out on the boat. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come out into the water. And so he stepped out. And for many of you, and what, we have to actually commend Peter because Peter was the only one of the disciples that even attempted to. Right? So we can't, we can't slam Peter too badly here. The situation, but there are many of us. We get to the place in our lives where we 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 initially say, "God, I'll step out," and we do it. But that's as far as we go, and we stunt our own faith. We stunt our own faith because it's one thing to look out. It's one thing to look out into the water, and it's another thing to another thing to go out and go ahead and step in it. But sometimes after that, we get so scared. It's like when you're at the pool, you're going swimming for the first time, and you're a little kid, and you all you can think about is how deep that water is and how small you are and how you're not sure or you're not quite confident. And so you were able to get off, the, get off of the, the concrete into, into the first step, but that's as far as you went. That's as far as you Can I challenge you to not have staircase faith where you just step out and you, you, all you can think about, you, you, again, you're focused on the wrong task. You're focused on making sure that you don't drown and focus on anything else. When, what have we been saying? If you want to swim, just swim. Don't just look out and don't just look on the steps. Don't just look at what, don't worry about who else is there or who else is behind you. Don't worry about anything. You have to get to a place where you say, okay, I'm on the step. Am I going to take another step forward? Because for many Christians, that's as far as we go. We'll trust God initially, but that's it. But that's it. That's not the only person that Peter represents. A second person that Peter represents um, in this situation is, is the person who steps out and walks toward him, walks toward God, demonstrates the faith, but they panic and quit along the way. They panic and quit along the way. For still, we're still going to camp on that pool analogy. That's the person who has stepped off of the off of the pavement into the step, right? And they're going to go ahead and they actually step off that step and they go and decide to go out for the swim they, they lunge out into the water but while they're lunging out right instead of them uh being able to go ahead and swim toward their goal they get there and they're in the water and they panic they panic they they you ever heard it when you're driving they say that if you're ever going to make a turn um into traffic you have to commit you ever heard of that you make a turn into traffic you have to commit because what happens if you panic and, and freak out and stop in the middle of the road it's going to be an accident you're going to have to commit, right? And a lot of times we get out there and we get into the water and we're about to swim, we'll, we'll go ahead and say it's like a little child, a little toddler swimming out to mom. Mom is in the, in the pool and, uh, and saying, all right, come to me, come to me, right? And so the, they go out and they get into the pool and they, and they dive in, they get off of the step, but while they're swimming, they start panicking and they take in water and they start to drown. And many of us, our faith is like that, where we'll, remember I told you guys about not re-nigging on your faith? Right, if anyone lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. But let not that man uh, waver in his faith, right? Because if he wavers, he's like a sea, a wind, and the sea tossed to and fro. And let not that man think he shall receive anything from God, right? We talked about that, and that's what we do. We're kind of that person. We get to that place where we committed at first, and we said we'll go ahead and do it, but we we take it back. We start going in there, and we start panicking. We start freaking out, and, and we start to drown. We start to drown. Can I challenge you that if you're going to go ahead and jump to commit, if you're going to say that you're going to trust the Lord with whatever is going on in your life, can I challenge you to commit? Because one of the secrets to your faith is not taking back what you promised to give to God. It's actually being careful for nothing, it's actually not worrying or not being anxious. And I know that that's easier said than done, but I'm not telling you that it's easy, I'm telling you that it's necessary. And it's hard. It's hard to demonstrate faith because one of the biggest reasons that people walk away from God is because they can't see farther than what's in front of them. And they get out and they manage to step into the darkness, but what happens is we freak out. And we committed at first, but we said, God, I can't do it. And we start to drown. So we have the the staircase Christian, the one who gets into the step, but that's as far as he goes. He steps out, but that's it. We have the person who commits at first. They start to walk toward him, but they panic and quit. The third person is the person who makes it all the way into the end, but drops the ball. They make it all the way to the end, and they drop the ball. See, Peter stepped out of, the, out of the boat. Peter stepped out of the boat, and he started to walk toward Christ, right? He started to walk toward Christ. And when he did, he was walking. He was good. He was making his way to Christ, but then he saw the wind, and he saw the waves, and right when he was there, I mean, the Messiah is in sight. The Messiah is in sight. Christ is right in front of him. He's there. And all he has to do is make, take a few more steps, a few more paces, and he would have made it. But he saw the wind. He saw the waves. And right at the end, when he was just about to be right with him, he dropped the ball. And he started to sink. I'm so afraid to get to heaven and see all the things that I could have accomplished if I would have just not dropped the ball at the very end. If I would have not just, if I would have not wavered right at the very end. If I would have not begin to sink right when I was right in the in touching distance of what God had for me. And I believe that's one of the reasons why He'll have to wipe a tear from our eye. Number one, because I believe we'll we'll wish that we have done more. I believe there'll be the people that we know that are not going to, that have not trusted Christ as their Savior. But I believe one of the reasons is seeing all the stuff, all the more crowns, all the more, you know, gold, silver, and precious stones we could have laid at Jesus' feet if we would have just stayed with it just a little bit longer. You know why the Bible says in the last days there'll be a great falling away? Because there's going to be people who are making it right there to the end and dropping the ball. I saw on Twitter a couple weeks ago, there was a man who made an entire thread. It was like 23 something tweets. And he made an entire thread talking about Why he walked away from the faith. This man was in his late 50s. He had been a minister. He had been a minister. He had gone through all of these different things. And uh, he had been in the faith for a long time. And right when he got to his late 50s. He decided to become an atheist. After all of that. And he listed a bunch of reasons for, for what happened to him. And a lot of those things chalked up to being a lot of bad experiences. And breaking under the pressure. But so many of us do that as Christians we get right there to the end and right when we're about to enter into the into glory we get right there to the end and we just drop it you just drop it we got to make sure that we keep our faith to the in, in this in this in the in the place where we can see it all the way through so the first person is the one who steps out but that's as far as they go The second person steps out and they begin to go, but they drop the ball along the way. There's a third person who gets right there to the end and they drop the ball. And then there's the fourth person. The fourth person is not present in the story, but it can be present in your life. And that fourth person is the one who makes it all the way to Jesus. That makes it all the way. The one that trusts God fully, who says, no matter what happens, I will not take it back. No matter what happens, I will not forfeit my faith. No matter what happens, I will not walk away. See, we have to ask yourself, is your faith limited? Is your faith limited? limited. I don't know if I'll ever see in my lifetime some of the things that I saw in Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't know if the American government will flip one day and turn, and turn into persecution with the Christians and, and my life may be in jeopardy. I don't know if that will ever happen in my time, but what I am doing now is I'm doing my best to prepare myself so that if that ever happened, I could stand for him with my chest puffed out and my head held high and said, Lord, I'm coming home for you. But many of us can't even demonstrate faith in the small things. How can we get to a place where we can risk our lives for the Savior? My question to you is, is your faith limited? Is your faith limited? Who's it in? Who is your faith in? See, Peter walked out onto that water, and he was right there. And many of us will get to that point where we are right there. The Bible says that there's a broad way that leads to destruction. And there's a narrow way that leads to Christ. And there's few that be that find it. I don't want you to get to the end and then just drop it. I want you to see it all the way through. I want you to see it all the way through. But you're going to have to decide. You're going to have to determine in your heart that no matter what happens, I've got to get there to the end. No matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what I lose or who I lose, no matter what happens in my life, i got to keep the faith. i got to keep the faith. My question to you is, is your faith limited? Is your faith limited? Who is your faith in? Hey, we're in Matthew chapter 14. I want you to turn over with me to Samuel chapter 17. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Who is your faith in? Who is your faith in? First Samuel chapter seventeen. Look at verse forty-five of Samuel chapter seventeen. It says this: then David t- then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with so- with a sword and with a spear, and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied, this day will Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give thee the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and with spear, For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Man, that is one of the most powerful, triumphant passages I've ever seen in the Bible. Just just authoritative. May I remind you that little David is looking up at, at, at approximately a nine and a half foot giant. With a spear that was approximately 160 pounds. I'm talking about David. Goliath's spear by itself probably weighed more than David did. A huge shield. I'm talking about a man who was, who was bred for battle. A man who spent his whole, what did, what did, what did Goliath say in the, in the passage? He said, am I a dog that you give me this stick? That's what he said when David stood before him. Am I a dog that you give me this stick? He said, you're, he said, you're, you're just this little man who is here. He says, I'm a, I'm a warrior who's been bred for battle from the beginning. Like my entire life has been training to destroy whoever stands in front of me. Are you going to be able to beat me, you little thing? And imagine, and by the way, if you don't believe in giants, look at professional sports. (laughs) Look at professional sports, but that's another topic for another day. And I'm talking about big old David against giant giant Goliath and looking him in the face and saying, I want you to know that I'm going to have your head. I'm going to bring your carcasses and feed it to the fowls he said, I want you to know that this battle is the Lord's and he doesn't fight with a sword and with a spear or he doesn't use a shield, but I want you to know that God's going to destroy you all. He's going to deliver this battle into my hand. And guess what, church? That's exactly what happened. As David got his little slingshot, and by the way, if you know anything about physics, if something gets hit from the front, how are they going to fall? Backwards if you read that passage in the Bible, Goliath fell on his face. May I remind you that he had to throw that stone with a sling, with a smooth stone that had to penetrate his brass helmet and his skull. That's a lot of force for him to fall forward. That's because it was a supernatural victory. It was a supernatural victory. And I mean, that giant flaw on his faith. And in the, Bible, the Bible said that, that David grabbed Goliath's sword and cut his own head off with it. Held his head high. Sent the Philistines running scared. Now, pastor, why did you share that story? Because we just looked at two examples of people who could have demonstrated faith and two completely different outcomes. Two completely different outcomes. My question is, you're going to allow whatever it is that you're facing to, to scare you? Or are you going to live triumphantly? What do we learn from David's situation? Number one, how did David find this victory? How, did he, how was he able to demonstrate this faith? Number one, David wasn't phased by, by the condition of the people around him. David was not phased by the condition of the people around him because David pulls up on the scene, church, right? He pulls up on the scene and he's just bringing his brother some food. He's not even there to fight, but what happens? He's there, and the people around him are cowering, they're afraid, they don't know what's gonna happen. Goliath is in the field just just chanting and mocking God, and David gets mad. He's like, why isn't anyone doing anything? Why are we allowing David, Goliath to talk about God this way? I mean, David is fed up. He's mad. But when David got there, if you notice that when David got there, David was on a mission. And David said, I don't care how you all are reacting. I don't care if you're scared. I don't care what's going on in my life. He's defying God, and that's not going to stand. So why is it that you allow your circumstances to defy God and get away with it? Hmm, church? Why do you allow your circumstances to defy God and get away with it? Because last I checked, he was Alpha and Omega. Omega. Last I checked, he was beginning in the end. Last I checked, he meted out the waters of the earth in the hollows of his hand. Last time I checked, he flung the stars in the sky and knew them all by name. Last time I checked, God was all powerful. And if that's the case, and if you've already trusted him with your soul, which is the biggest thing you had to trust him with, how come we allow the little stuff in life, and yes, I said little, the little stuff of life to let God be defied? David wasn't concerned with the conditions of the people around him, so why are you? We're talking about victorious Christian living church. How far does your faith go? How far does your faith go? Who is your faith in? Number two, David did not allow his size compared to the giant to scare him. David did not allow the size of the giant compared to his own to scare him. David wasn't stupid. David knew exactly what was going on. The Philistines wanted a one-on-one battle. They said, bring me. They said, we're not going to have an entire bloodbath. We're going to have a one-on-one match. And the winner gets to take the army captive. David was fully aware of what he was getting into. But David was not concerned with the size of his giant. Let me let you know, church. That's not the only giant in your life you're going to face. There's a man in the Bible. His name is i Fibosheth. His name is i Fibosheth. David, I'm going to fast forward for you. David gets old in age. And he's confronted with a giant. He said, my name is Iphibosheth. And I'm the son of Goliath. And your head is mine. And of course, David, you know, being the man that he is, he's a little bit old. He's brave. He's friddle. You know, frittle? I just mixed two words. He's old. He's brittle. He's frail. And he's like, well, well, if it's got to be done, Let's do it. And right then, one of David's mighty men of valor, that he watched, that, you know, David conquered victory after victory after victory, that he seen him train him and allow him to be, he said, David, let me step in here for you and let me uh, take care of this giant for you. And we see that that mighty man of valor goes in there and gives Iphibosheth the hands, right? He shows him. he gets that work. And even though that that goes down, but David might have thought that that was the only giant and I and I believe people have said this and I believe it too. David trusted God but how many stones did David have? He had 5. I believe it's because he had he knew that Goliath had friends and he was ready. Are you ready? Or well, are you concerned with the size of your giant? Because let me, know you, let me let you know now, if you're in fear now, you're going to keep being in fear for the rest of your life because giants will show up over and over and over and you will destroy one and another one will raise his head. And you'll destroy one and another one will raise its head. You got to get to a place in your life, church, where you will not let the giants of your life scare you. In that entire passage, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is like 50-something verses. Not one time in that entire situation did I see David demonstrate one iota of of being afraid. No fear. So why are you? What is it in your life that you're afraid of right now that's too big for you? Because let me let you know, let me let you in on a little secret. It's supposed to be too big for you. It's supposed to be too big for you. It's designed to be too big for you. It wouldn't be formidable if it wasn't. It's designed to be too big for you, but guess who it's not too big for? I ain't even got to answer it because you already know the answer. You already know the answer. Number three, David, wasn't, David was willing to risk his life because he bet it all on God. David was willing to risk his life. David, people who were, more, who were bigger, stronger, more warrior-esque than David were afraid. So why is it that David was, a, was not willing to risk his life? Because he bet it all on God. He bet it all on God. Church, I got to encourage you. Get to a place where you are willing to bet your entire situation on God. Hey, I don't care what happens. I'm not sure what the future of Orlando Baptist Temple is. I'm not sure the future of my home or my family. I'm not not sure of the future of any of that stuff. I'm not sure on any of it. But what I am sure on is that God is able. What I am sure on is that God stands firm on his promises. What I am sure on is God. And that's why I've been spending a lot of my time practicing the, the method of letting go and letting God. Because I already know that the people around me are going to be afraid. I already know that the size of the giant is big. But I'm going to be, I want to get to the place. I want us to get to a place where we can get there and say, I know how dangerous, how scary, how strong, how formidable this opponent is, but I'm going to bet it all on God. Am I a dog that you give me the stick? (laughs) Yep, I definitely am that stick but my God's a bigger dog than you are. I'm not the one that should be afraid. It should be you. And I loved it. I loved seeing how how authoritative David was talking to this person who was older, stronger, bigger, wiser, all of that stuff, all of that. And he was like, I'm not worried about it because God, I can see him pointing in his face. God is going to deliver you into my hand. Wow. And that's why lastly, David saw that his giant was big. But that, his, but that his giant was bigger than Dick Goliath. You know that you have a giant in your corner also, church? There's a giant in your corner also. See, the Philistine couldn't see that giant, so he was willing to try to step all over him. But when God stepped into the picture and came through on that situation, we saw that it was something that was far beyond what he could have imagined. All I'm saying is this. If you want to have limitless faith, you got to keep your eyes on God. Number two, we're moving quickly. Turn over to Psalm chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46. Who is your faith in? Psalm 46. Look at verse 10. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the heathens. I will be exalted in the earth. I'm flipping back over. You don't have to flip there if you don't want to. But Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Who's your faith in? I'm just just asking. Who's your faith in? Exodus 14, verse 14 says, The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Number two, get in the habit of just staying still and letting God move. Number two, get in the habit of just staying still and letting God move. Our initial response to scary times is to react. And my question is, why do we have to be so reactionary? Right now in my my studies for school, we're talking about philosophies and theories that counselors and psychologists use. And one of the theories that were brought up were, were humans, um, proactive or reactive beings. And a large consensus by many of the, uh, the scholars on this, of the subject believe that humans are reactionary people. We're reactionary. What does that mean? That we're more prone to not get on offense first. We're more prone to not be proactive. We're more prone to allow the circumstances to cause us to make a reaction. And why do we have to be that way? I always tell you what, church, if you know your enemy, what can you do? You can strike first. You can be on offense. You don't have to step back and get yourself to a place where all you can do is be on defense. You can get on offense. And what if your best offense, church, is to do nothing? What if your best offense is for you to just stay still and let God do the work? I want you to get into the habit to realize that the best thing that you can do sometimes is to put your hand on it and say, God's got it. I'm going to leave it here. I'm going to leave it here. What a testament to your faith. What a testament to your faith when you can say, you have no idea who you're dealing with. You know why I try my best not to let my, my, my trials of my life dictate who I am? Even though the anxiety tries to come. But when that anxiety comes, you know what I do to it? I remind it that you have no idea who you're messing with. You don't know who my dad is. And what he's getting ready to do with the situation. We got to get to a place where we have to say, God's going to take care of it. I'm talking about flexing your God muscles. The reason why we fear the giants in our lives is because we're too busy telling God how big our giant is instead of telling our giant how big our God is. You hear me, church? The reason why we stop, we're we not able to have the victory or see our faith go as far as we want to is because we're so busy telling God how big our giant is instead of telling the giant how big our God is. You got to start answering back to those trials with the right responses. God's got it. God's going to step in. God's going to intervene. And when he does, you better run. Because you can't face him. None of you can. You got to get in the habit of staying still and letting God move. Lastly, number three, turn over back to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17. You're having a dialogue with the wrong person. Running to God, telling God, God, he's so, the giant's so big and I'm so scared. You need to start telling that giant, whew, I feel bad for you. I feel bad for you. love what David did. Look at, verse, look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. It says this, and Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, move hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. Number three and lastly, stop telling yourself that there is no way. Stop telling yourself that there is no way. You want to see the cap of your faith bust wide open, fly all the way off? You have to stop telling yourself that there is no way. In this story, the disciples come to Christ and they said, hey, we could not cast out that demon. Why could we not? He said, it's because of your unbelief. You didn't think you could do it. You didn't think you can do it. You chose to overlook the power that I have ordained for you to have to overcome this circumstance and chose to allow fear to root to run you church are you allowing fear to run you what is it you're afraid of huh you're afraid of a circumstance happening in your family you're afraid of your financial standing you're afraid of your future you're afraid of tomorrow afraid of the dark what's your fear what's your fear? He said, the only reason you couldn't do this thing was because your faith was so small. You didn't have enough faith. you, you You chose to allow unbelief. Church, let me tell you this. Bravery is not the absence of fear. It's overcoming it. Bravery is not the absence of fear. It's overcoming it. You think, I, I know that you're afraid. I'm not doubting that you're afraid, but I wanna, you gotta get, You got to get to the place where you tell that fear about your God. And fear is going to be initial because we're humans, but we can't let it stay in place. It has place. You have to get to a place where you allow yourself to realize that your unbelief is your binding mechanism. You, you have to get out of your own head. Sometimes we stand in our own way of God doing great things in our lives because we're convinced ourselves that this is how it is. This is how it's got to be and that there's no way that this will change. And what I'm trying to tell you is that you don't have to drink this cup of suffering thinking that there is no end in sight. Because that's not the case. I need you to know that as long, listen to me church, as long as you are standing in your own way of your faith, that mountain is not going anywhere. As long as you are standing in your own way, as long as you're in your own head, as long as you're the one thinking there is no way that this will change, there's no way that mountain is going to be removed. You're going to say to that mountain, move, and it's going to laugh at you. Why? Because you don't even believe that you can do it. You don't even believe that you can do it. You have to change the size of your faith. And this is what's important, church. I want you to put this into perspective. He says, because of your unbelief, you could not see this mountain. You couldn't do this thing, right? But what does he say in the passage here? He says, what size does your faith have to be? The size of a mustard seed. Can anyone see that? Look how small a mustard seed is. And you mean to tell me that in that situation, they couldn't demonstrate faith that size. I want you to think about just how small that is. That's almost none. As close to none as you can without it being none. You have to change the size of your faith. Now, you can't quantify faith, but you can only measure it by its quality. So, going from no faith to a little faith is a significant jump. You understand that, right? Because nothing, you can't do anything with nothing. So, even going from nothing to a little bit is a significant jump if the faith is true and correct. Because if you wavered in your faith, it wasn't faith, you hoped. You 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 just gambled. You didn't you didn't you didn't you you, you didn't have a concrete feeling, and you, you didn't you didn't have a mentality that said this is gonna get done. You hoped it would, and that's not enough. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Boldly, coming forward with it, understanding that you have enough faith to say that it's gonna get done. I believe it's gonna get done with faith in God what's funny is you don't even need like this resounding faith people I think a lot of times we compare we compare to other people we compare to the people of the of the Bible and we compare to Paul or whoever else and we we say we got to have faith like that no you need to have enough faith to do what God needs you to do you need to have a reasonable faith because check this out a small faith is more than enough A small faith is more than enough. Saying, God, if this is the size, check this out. The size of faith that it takes for me to get what's accomplished here is the same amount of faith that's required to get this accomplished. Same size. You don't have to have a grapefruit faith. I mean, grapefruit faith is is nice. You don't have to have a watermelon faith. You don't have to have a skyscraper-sized faith, although those things are nice. He said, listen to me, all you need is the faith of a mustard seed. You just need enough. Get to the place where you believe I can and not waver because it's not about the quantity. You can't quantify faith. It's only measured by quality. So even if it's a small faith, even even if it's all you got, it's enough. Size of a mustard seed. The size of a mustard seed. You have to remember that your faith isn't palatable if it doesn't exist. Your faith isn't palatable if it doesn't exist. There's no foundation for your faith if you don't have any. There's nothing to draw from. There's, there's no abstract. There's no, there's, there's no blueprint if you don't have any, we got to get to the place in our, in our life where we allow our faith to grow because we stop telling yourself, there is no way. You have to stop telling you that you can't because you're right. You can't, but what does that profit anyone? Hmm? You can't, you're right. You can't do it, but once again, your focus is on the wrong person. Because I can't, but God sure can. And so i bring it back to you and I ask you this and we'll close. Who's your faith in? My faith can't be in the condition of Orlando Baptist Temple. My faith can't be in the condition of our staff. My faith can't be in our finances. My faith can't be in my mommy, my dad. My faith can't be in my abilities. It can't. My faith can't be in my institution, it can't be in my degrees, it can't be in my academic standing, it can't be in my abilities or my talents, it can't be in anything other than God, because everything named before God will fail, not can, will. Church, you know that I'll fail you, right? There will come a time, if I haven't already, that I will, because I'm human. But guess who won't fail? And church, that's the key to your faith being limitless. It's seeing how far it'll go once you understand who it's in. Because I got up on this pew because I expected the pew to do what it does, which is hold my weight. When are you going to expect God to hold your weight? Once again, the ball's in your court. Let's pray.